Well, thank you for tuning in. Those of you just now joining us and those that are here, folks, uh, we appreciate you being here today. We're nearing the end of the book of Malachi. Uh, it's a very small book, only four chapters, and today we come to the end of chapter 3. So go ahead and find Malachi chapter 3, last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3. And tonight we're going to be focusing on verses 13 through 18. Before we read the text and before we get into that material, let me ask you a question. Um, this is just, I, I do want your participation. I'll try to repeat it for those watching online so they can hear. But did any of you play sports in high school or college? Raise your hand if you played sports either in high school or college. All right. Heather, what did you play? <laughs> Basketball, volleyball, cross country. All right. Uh, high school, college, both. All right, that's why I didn't know you're such an athlete. That's good. Should have gone to University of Tennessee. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Somebody else, Billy. Football, baseball, and track in high school. All right. Which was your favorite? Football. What'd you play? Halfback. Really? I bet you were a scrappy running back, weren't you? <laughs> All right, somebody else. Yes, sir. Swimming. High school or college? Okay, high school, a little bit in college. Steve Crows, your hand up. <laughs> okay. Uh, we, we couldn't guess what your sport might be. So you played, you played basketball at high school and college, right? All right. Now, did any of you want to play in high school, but you didn't, you, for whatever reason, you just didn't take that step? Anybody like that? Anybody regret that you didn't play in high school? Yeah. Uh, I wanted to, but quite frankly, just to be honest with you, I really wanted to go out for high school football, and I still remember sitting in my mom's bed trying to figure out what I was going to do, but I was too shy to go out for the team. That's the reason I, I didn't go try out. Uh, I was just literally too shy to go try out for the team. Uh, plus, added to that, my dad told me, now listen, you, you can play sports or you can come work for me and buy a car. It's up to you. Guess which one I chose? And I have regretted it ever since. You can always get another car, but you can't always go back and play high school sports. Uh, whether you played or not, I want to paint a picture for you. I want you to imagine that you, you did play in high school, whatever sport it may be, uh, basketball, baseball, soccer, whatever you want to choose. But, but let's just say that you, you uh, played in high school. Imagine that, that you had that opportunity and you took advantage of it and you were involved in high school athletics. And the first year that you played, you actually did pretty good. In fact, you started. Uh, let's say you were playing second base, either baseball or, or softball. And, and, and you started, and you felt pretty good about it. Just your first year, but you started, and you felt pretty good. Second year, somebody transfers in, and they, they're a lot better second baseman than you are. And so guess where you are? You're on the bench. You're second string now. Now, at first, you try to be a team guy. At first, you try to go to the practice, encourage the team, and all that, but... 
But you get tired of those long, hot practices and never getting in the game. You get tired of going day after day after day and working out as hard as everybody else works out, but you don't get to go in the game. And eventually, you'll probably say something like this, what's the use? I mean, I go to practice, I work harder than anybody else, but coach won't put me in. What, why am I even going to practice? I, I'm thinking about quitting the team. Now, let me ask you a question. In that scenario, if that person were to say that, where is their focus? Is their focus on their team or is their focus on themselves? On themselves, isn't it? What's the use? I'm not going to get to play. Why should I go through all this practice, all this turmoil? I'm not going to get put in. The coach won't put me in. Focuses on themselves. And probably every high school coach has had to deal with that issue. But, Malachi, the prophet of God, had to deal with a very similar issue. The people of God were actually complaining, saying much the same thing. They were saying, what's the use? And they were unhappy with God. They were unhappy about their situation. And they literally blamed God and said, what's the use? Let me show you this in Scripture. Malachi chapter 3, we just start with verse 13. Here's what we read. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? Now, this is the sixth and the last of Malachi's accusations against God's people. I told you when we first started the study that this is a hard-hitting book. And there's a lot of back-and-forth dialogue between God and His people. And God oftentimes would make a statement or an accusation And the people would say, well, how have we done that? Or why would you say that? And then God gives the answer. And there's this back and forth six different times in the book of Malachi. This back and forth between God and his people. And the sixth time is the one we're just now reading tonight. The sixth and last of Malachi's accusations against God's people. And God, through the prophet Malachi, actually addresses two different groups of people. Two very different groups of people. The first group that God addresses would be the complainers. Verse 13, here's what God said. Look at it again. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. New American Standard Version says, your words have been arrogant against me. There's been an arrogance about you. The way you said what you said, the the attitude that you've had, the things that have been on your heart, and the things that have come out of your mouth, there's been an arrogance there as you've had the audacity to speak against God. The New English Bible translates, instead of harsh words, it says hard words. You have said hard words against me. But the Good News Bible probably comes closest to catching the, the, the force of the Hebrew text. It says this, You have said terrible things about me. Oblivious to any wrongdoing on their part, the people responded by saying, what have we said against you? Right there in verse 13. What is it? Yet you ask, what have we said against you? From their point of view, they were innocent. And from their point of view, listen to this, if anybody's to blame, it's God. What have we done? It's not their problem, it's God's problem. Can I say to you, sin will do that for you, won't it? Sin will dull your conscience. Sin will blur your vision. So we read in verse 14, God's answer. Or their answer. You have said, it is futile to serve God. 
What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? Isn't that interesting? You have said, verse 14, you have said it is futile to serve God. What, watch this. What did we gain by serving him? Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at verse 14. I want you to read it closely. And I want you to tell me who they were speaking to. Were they speaking in verse 14? Just verse 14. Were they speaking to God or were they speaking to others? Read verse 14 and I want you to make the case. Were they speaking to God or were they speaking to others? Take a minute to read that. All right. In your opinion, as you read verse 14, are they speaking to God or are they speaking to others? Others. Why would you say that? Yes, they use God as a third person. You have said it is futile to serve God. They didn't say it's futile to serve you. They said it's futile to serve God. And then, what did we gain by carrying out His requirements? They don't say by carrying out your requirements, but by carrying out His requirements. So there's this conversation going on. This conversation between the complainers. The complainers, it was a group within God's people. They were the complainers. They were meeting together. They were critical. They were, they were making accusations. They, they were negative Nazis, if you will, and they're all gathered together, they're all huddled up, and they're talking about God in a very negative way. And I want you to notice something. The obvious lesson in verse 14, God was listening. God was listening. They gathered in groups, they criticized the Lord to one another, and they're talking about the Lord. And can I say to you that you can take the Lord's name in vain without actually engaging in profanity? They're actually taking the Lord's name in vain. And God was listening to everything they said. Look at verse 14 again. You have said it is futile to serve God. God was listening. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? What good has it done us? God was listening. Now... Put your finger there in Malachi. Go over one book, but actually you're moving from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Go to Matthew chapter 12. I want you to see something Jesus said about this very idea of God listening to what we say. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Here's what Jesus is speaking. And he's speaking... About and to the Pharisees. And here's what he says to these Pharisees. You brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. Now, now you might want to underline that. Out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. Remember what they were saying in Malachi's day. What good does it do to serve God? And they're saying it to one another. What have we gained by trying to be faithful to the Almighty? And out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now keep, keep reading. Um, 
Verse 35, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Now watch closely, verse 36, but I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. That definitely ought to be marked in your Bible. Jesus said, Keith didn't say this. Jesus said that we will give an account of every careless word we've spoken. For by your words, verse 37, you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. God was listening. What were the people in Malachi's day saying against God? As God was listening to them, as they were complaining against God, what were they saying against God? They had two complaints. Here's the first one. It's futile to serve God. What did we gain? Verse 14. What did we gain by doing this? Notice again that the emphasis is on themselves and not on God. They were serving with selfish motives. And, and they were trying basically to say, God, you, you owe us because we've tried to be faithful to you. Can I say to you, listen to me, those online, God doesn't owe you anything. Nor does he owe me anything. Don't obligate God by our faithfulness. It's not like, okay, I did something for you, God. What are you going to do for me? But that's in essence what they're saying. Read verse 14 again. Look at it again. You have said it is futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out His requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? What good did it do us to try to do the things He wanted us to do? What good did it do us to try to live the way He wanted us to live? What did we gain from that? It's futile to serve God. That was their first complaint. Complaint number two was this one. Evildoers prosper and God lets them escape. Look at verse 15. But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper. Certainly, watch this. Certainly the evildoers prosper. And even those who challenge God escape. Translation, the pagan people around us who don't know the Lord, they're in better shape than we are. The wicked are prospering while the godly are suffering. It's the age-old dilemma. It's a sad thing when the serving God as something to be something that is a drudgery, something that they just have to do. And, and, and too often, watch this, too often they're focused on what am I getting out of this? What am I getting out of this? I want to say to you, you need to be careful because when you start focusing on what you're getting out of serving God, you're no longer serving Him, you're serving yourself. So there's the complainers that Malachi addresses. But then there's a second group. Thank God there's a second group. The second group is the faithful remnant. You see, not everyone was speaking harshly against God. Hey, church, hear that. Not everyone was a complainer. Not everyone was speaking harshly against God. There were some faithful men and women who lived in Malachi's day who still loved God and they still feared God and they still served God. They were the Israel within Israel, if you will. The faithful remnant through whom God worked to accomplish His will. They met together just like the other group did. They met together, but they were meeting together not to complain, not to criticize. They were meeting together to encourage and edify one another. Look at the contrast, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. Just like the other group, the complainers were talking to each other. 
Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. You see, this group was talking to each other too, and God is listening to them as well. God's listening and heard. It's interesting that Malachi emphasizes that, that God was listening to this other group, this remnant. God was listening, and he heard what they said. But not only that, this is where it gets intriguing. He was also taking notes. I'm not making that up. Look what it says. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. A scroll of remembrance. This is an interesting aspect of Malachi that I want to try to explain to you. It was a common practice among the kings of the Old Testament to sometimes write out a scroll of remembrance. They sometimes called it something different, but it was the idea of recording something so that I could remember it later. If I'm the king, I I might record something or have someone record it so that I can remember it later when I want to take action on it. Uh, Put your finger in Malachi. I want you to go over and find the book of Esther. Esther is always a hard book for me to find. It's that... You get there before me. I want you to read Esther 2.23. Anybody got it? Esther 2.23. There it is. Esther 2.23. Let me tell you the story here. Mordecai, in the story of Esther, Mordecai uncovers a conspiracy to kill the king. Mordecai makes this known. Verse 22, let's start there. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. Verse 23, and when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were hanged on a gallows. And all, watch this, this is the point I want you to see. And all this was recorded in the book of the annals in the presence of the kings. Or the book of remembrance. The scroll of remembrance. It's the same idea. The same concept. That when the king said. Or when the king found out that Mordecai saved his life. That Mordecai uncovered this conspiracy to have him killed. Then the king said. Make sure you record that. Make sure you write that down. Now watch what happens. Go over to chapter 6. Chapter 6. Esther chapter 6. That night, the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign to be brought in and read to him. Here, that book is called the record of the Chronicles. Same idea. Now, watch what happens in verse 2. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthanon and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway and who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. So, in verse 3, what honor or recognition has Mordecai received for this, the king asked. Nothing. Now, that's the background. If you go back to Malachi, God was taking notes. That's the background, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord talked to each other, and the Lord listened and heard 
and a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. Sooner or later, in his own time, God will remember or honor those who have been his faithful servants. God, you might want to write it down this way, God will honor those who honor him. In his own timetable, in his own way, God will honor those who honor him. Maybe I should say it to you this way. What you're doing for God does not go unnoticed. Others may not notice. Others may not know. And quite frankly, others may not care. But what you do for God does not go unnoticed. And so I would say that there's two things I want you to remember based on verse 16. This this scroll of remembrance. There's two things I want you to remember. Number one, you never waste your time when you invest in eternity. It is never a waste of time to invest in eternity. Number two, your reward is not always immediate. Your reward is not always immediate. Verse 16, look at it again. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. The Lord listened and heard, and a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. It was written down, a scroll of remembrance, so that he could act on it later. But then it even gets better in verse 17. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make make up my, what's that next phrase? My what? Treasured possession. Look at this phrase here. My treasured possession. The Hebrew word there is significant. Sagala is the Hebrew word. It's a very special treasure. It means a very special treasure. It means a highly valued property. At the base of Mount Sinai. You remember when God's people came out of Egypt? And they were heading towards the promised land. They stopped at Mount Sinai where God was giving Moses the Ten Commandments. And at the base of Mount Sinai, God said something significant to this group of people. Put your finger in Malachi. Go over to the left and find the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. Here's what we read. Now, this is God speaking at Mount Sinai to his people. And God says, now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Out of all the nations of the world, if you'll obey me, if you'll follow me, if you'll trust me, out of all the nations of the world, you will be my treasured possession. That's the the word here. Same word. It's an amazing thought that by faithfulness and obedience to God, the people of Israel would be God's treasured possession. The same idea is, is found in Psalm 135. Go quickly to Psalm 135. Psalm 135 Verse 4, for the Lord has chosen Jacob to be his own, Israel to be his treasured possession. You say, well, okay, well, Pastor Keith, no, wait a minute, uh, that sounds good and that, that's, that's wonderful. It's a neat word, a neat phrase, but that's Old Testament and that's Israel. That's not me living in Powdersville. Well, there's a similar idea in the New Testament. Several places perhaps we could look at, but the one I want you to focus on right now is in the book of Titus. You'll find the 
the New Testament book of Titus. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 describes this unique relationship we have with the Lord. Speaking of Jesus, it says in verse 14, Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his, watch this, his very own eager to do what is good, which are his very own. It's the idea, the, same, the Greek word there is the same idea of my treasured possession. Because of Jesus Christ, we are his very own, his treasured possession. Now, we're going to close out by going back to Malachi for the final time. Let's read verse 17 and then we'll look at verse 18 and bring this to a conclusion. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. Now watch what he says. And you will again see the distinction. You might want to underline that word, the distinction. And you again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Sometimes on this side of heaven, the difference between us and somebody else may not always be apparent, may not always be seen, but in God's future, the distinction will be revealed in its clearest terms. Those who serve God, watch this, those who serve God will fit into one category and those who do not will belong in another. God is saying there is coming a day when it will be very clear if you truly are serving me. There is coming a day when it will be revealed and be very clear if your heart is for me and your life is devoted to serving me or it's not. And I like that description. You will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. There is a distinction that is so clear. And so here's the lesson I would say to you tonight. Stay faithful. Keep serving the Lord. And one day you'll be glad you did. I was reading today Greg Laurie uh, in a tweet. And it caught my attention because... He said, I've been a Christian for 50 years. And when I read that, I thought, wow, that's a long time. And then I started figuring up, and I realized I've been a Christian for 50 years. I didn't even, I never thought about it really until today. It's like, well, I got saved when I was 11. I'm 61, so I've been a Christian for 50 years. But listen to what he said. He said, I've been a Christian for 50 years. As time passes, I'm not so much impressed by charisma as I am by character and longevity. I'm impressed by a Christian who weathers the storms of life and continues to give, God, give glory to God because that's what following Jesus is all about. You hear that one more time, I, the second part of it. As time passes, I'm not so much impressed by charisma as I am by character and longevity. I'm impressed by a Christian who weathers the storms of life and continues to give glory to God because that's what following Jesus is all about. Jesus said, there's come, or Malachi said, there's coming a day when there will be a distinction and it will be clear if you're serving God or not. 
I agree with him. I'm not as impressed. The older I get, I'm not as impressed with charisma. I'm impressed with, with integrity and with character and longevity. Uh, yesterday, I did a funeral for a dear lady. I want to show you a picture of her. Uh, you, you probably can't see that very well because of, of this. But let me at least describe to you what you're seeing. This is Nanny Jackie. Her name is Jackie Forrester. I, I preached her funeral yesterday. I think she was 89 years old. If you, I hope you can see this well enough to, to see that she's sitting here on this porch. And she's got her hands clasped like this and she's praying. This was taken not long ago. Nanny Jackie was a prayer warrior and her son, John, took that picture. Of course, she didn't realize that he had snuck and took the picture. Nanny Jackie was sitting there on that, on that porch and she's just sitting there 89 years old and she's praying again. A few days ago, EMS came to her home to take her to the hospital. It would be the last time that she would be in her home. They took her to the hospital and then later to hospice where she died. But before she left her house, she said to the EMS people, wait a minute, wait a minute. Grab my hands and let's have a word of prayer before we leave. And that's what she's doing there. She's talking to her Lord. She was saved in 1946. And she's sitting there as an old lady, 89 years old, still talking to her Lord. Malachi said there's two groups of people. One group are the complainers. The other group is the faithful remnant. I want to make sure I'm in the faithful remnant. Because one day it will become evident what we are and where we stand. When I cross the finish line, I want to cross the finish line like that. Amen? Let me pray with you. God, you are good and you are Lord and we recognize that there are a lot of nanny jackies in this world. There are a lot of people who are walking with you and they're faithful to you and they've been faithful to you for a long, long time. And we are grateful for them. And we pray that their number would increase. We just have a heart just to truly have a relationship with you, a relationship that is evident now and a relationship that will be evident later when you open the scroll of remembrance. Thank you for the people of God. Thank you for the Mount Airy family. But thank you also for your divine word that once again gives us encouragement and once again directs us about living our lives. May we live them for your glory. And may we remember that you're listening and you're taking notes. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.